Welcome to Ghosted by Roz Dresfeles, the only paranormal ghost story podcast hosted by a drag queen. Real stories, fake lady. Now this week I am joined by the fabulous Deborah Wilson, who you might remember from Mad TV. She's also going to talk to us about how she did demon voices in the recent movie The Nun. But before we get to her, I want to keep in that theme of spooky Hollywood with this week's tale, which is not so much a ghost story, but a story about a curse and spooky nonetheless. Now, this story has been told several times in books and on television shows, so I apologize if you've heard it before, but I'm always shocked to hear that actually a lot of people have never even heard of it. It is the curse of a tuck. And no, I'm not talking about the haunted-ass tuck between my legs. And yes, I am in full drag right now, and I always will be for every episode of this show that I record. Shut up, they can't see me. Okay, so a tuck, or a took. Atuk, I've heard a lot of different pronunciations. A-T-U-K. It's a real movie script that has been bopping around Hollywood for decades now at this point. And according to Hollywood lore, every famous actor that has been considered for the role died shortly after. So here's the story. In 1977, screenwriter Todd Carroll was commissioned by Canadian film director Norman Jewison to write a film adaptation of a book that he had just finished reading called The Incomparable Atuk. I think I'm saying it wrong. Atuk, I think is how you say it. Um, it. The original book was by Mordecai Richler. Now, the story of... Atuk. It sounds like the perfect 1970s, 1980s, fish-out-of-water comedy. It's an Inuit hunter that is transplanted planted to the big city. I believe it was New York City in the movie adaptation. And, you know, hilarity ensues. Now, honestly, from what I read online, it sounds like a really cute story. And it's a shame that it was actually never made. But by 1979, Carol had done a few rewrites to the script, and it was pitched to his personal friend, John Belushi. Now, actually, John Belushi is who he had in mind from the start when he was first asked to adapt the book into a screenplay. Now, by 1981, John Belushi was on board. But, of course, in March of 1982, at age 33, he was found dead of a drug overdose at the Chateau Marmont, and a bungalow that some say still have his spirit checked in at. So... With Belushi's passing, the script was shelved for a few years, but ooh, baby girl, that script, it was just so right that in 1987, United Artists purchased it and offered it to one of the hottest stand-up comedians in the game, Sam Kinison. So the next year, they actually began production on the film. But there were issues with Kinnison because he was drinking a lot and he was arguing a lot on set with crew members. And so they actually scrapped the production after filming just one scene, just one day of production. So maybe somewhere there actually is footage of them shooting a scene from this famous movie that was never made. In 1992... A 38-year-old Kinnison, of course, was killed as a result of a head-on collision on Interstate 95 toward Laughlin, Nevada. But damn it, Ed Took 
was just so stinking good that in 1993, John Candy heard about it and accepted the role. Shortly thereafter, in 1994, Candy died in his hotel room while shooting another film, a different film that he was shooting in Durango, Mexico. He was only 43 years old. So cut to 1996. United Artists was looking for a new lead actor. This, seriously, this movie must have been so good. They didn't even think, like, wouldn't you think at this point, like, okay, there's some bad juju going on with the script. But they were looking for another actor, and who do you think that they asked? 1996, funny guy, you guessed it, Chris Farley. And in 1997, at the age of 33, Farley died of a heart attack while consuming massive amounts of drugs. Now, legend has it that Farley had actually given the script to his friend, hoping that his friend would be interested in playing the villain character. That friend? Phil Hartman. In 1998, Hartman was tragically killed by his wife just before she turned the gun on herself. So what do you think? Coincidence, or are there some other evil, dark-sided, otherworldly forces behind the script? There are lots of theories about what is going on there. A lot of people think that since there were actually rewrites that were done, um, actually one of the actors that I just mentioned had the entire script uh, completely rewritten on the day of shooting. That was Sam Kinison. And so they think that um, there were different rewrites that had happened. And every time that the actor uh, wanted to make sure it was rewritten, certain parts were rewritten, that's when um, problems started happening. But I don't, I don't know. It's, um, it's very scary. And from what what I've heard, it is now tucked away in the archives of United Artists and probably will never see the light of day. Hopefully not. But, you know, I suggest maybe they should make it a drag queen version. I know so many drag queens that should read this book and you wouldn't even have to change the name. You could still call it a tuck. All right. On with the show. Oh, we are so lucky to have Deborah. Wilson in the studio today. You know, she doesn't do that many interviews, so I feel so honored to have her. I recently met her working on this movie. It was so much fun. We really bonded. And it turns out she's like a paranormal expert, it almost seems. I mean, she's done so much ghost hunting. But we also, you know, you know her, you love her from Mad TV. She used to play this character, Benifa Latifa Halifa Sharifa Jackson. Or maybe you know her from her Whitney Houston impersonation or Oprah. Just iconic. Iconic. I, I mean, I worship her, but she doesn't like that I say that. But You'll have to see for yourself. So we're going to hand it on over to one of my favorites, Deborah Wilson. Oh, I am joined by the goddess herself, <laughs> Deborah Wilson. Hi. Hi, beautiful. I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you. Deborah, you know me. I worship you. Do not worship me. Do not. Uh, Deborah. I beg of you, do not. Okay, fine. I don't worship, worship you, but like you can appreciate me. You can I, be inspired yes. by me, but do not. Okay, worship I won't me. worship you, but okay. you are just so talented, and I just have admired your work for so long. Well, how sweet of you to see yourself in me. <laughs> well, it's so. It's a very weird thing because 
I don't think I told you this. So we just worked on a movie together, yes, which did. was such a wonderful experience, and I cannot wait for it to come out. But the day before I went into went on to set to meet with the directors about um, you know the shoot the upcoming shoot, I had just this weird instinct to go on a Deborah Wilson Googling and uh, YouTubing. And I was watching old sketches that I admired as a kid and just like laughing my ass off. I don't know why. And then I went in the next day and they said, guess who we just got? Deborah Wilson. And I said, how? What? Then it's not weird. Then what it is is it's psychic energy. And a lot of times we project things that are going to happen. Mm -hmm. We project things that we want, project things that are going to happen. And that works from the conscious mind into the subconscious and the subconscious back into the conscious. I mean, it to me, it's extremely normal. It's, yeah. a, it's a par for the course of, of the universe. But then what happened the other day, Deborah? I'm driving around. I turn because I'm trying to figure out where I'm going. And who do I see on the street walking? Deborah Wilson. On my block. I on, on the block. I believe I mean. it. And so I, I did believe it because that happens to me. That's a, one of those phenomena that happen to me on a semi-regular basis. When I meet someone, within two weeks, I usually see them again in a space in which they did not expect to see me and a space I did not expect to see them. Um, so for me, it was a very, very normal and natural thing. It was that and the other phenomenon is people have a tendency to go, you remind me so much of, you look just like, oh my God, I thought you were all the time because we're constantly, constantly sharing energy. And once we move and elevate our thought process, which is a three-dimensional thing, into a higher process and resonate a higher spiritual idea and ideal, then we realize that what we're experiencing is not weird, is not kooky, is not strange, and is not paranormal, that we realize that as spirit beings in a physical vessel, that it's par for the course. Yeah. I mean, I... I've had so many of these uh, experiences over the years, but it still to me is never not like, this is crazy. Phenomenal. Yeah. What a blessing. What a gift. I think it's for me, it's very, very um, humbling um, and supports and continues to validate my faith and belief. Now, did, did you, was there a point in your life when you realized what you now realize about what this is? Or was it... You know, did you always just kind of think? I think we always know, but what we do is we suppress it because once mm -hmm. we come in the physical world, we're dealing with and and negotiating the three dimensions as well as developing ourselves, as well as the things that will define us or the things we allow ourselves to be defined by. And I think as we're negotiating and bartering with those things in the social world, we tamp all those things down and we begin to call them things like uh, uh, gut instinct. Mm -hmm. You know, women's intuition. Sure. We don't give ourselves the full credit. We make it such a generalized thing that it's no big deal. So when it comes up, it seems like it's more phenomenal than what it really is. Um, and so I've transmuted the idea of it being phenomenal into a humbling experience and into a validating experience that I'm more than physical. I like that. I like that. So you've had many paranormal experiences from my understanding. Quite a few. I won't say many. I mean, I think there are many people who've had a lot more than me because yeah. they do investigations more often. Sure. But I've had my fair share of, of paranormal experiences, both professionally um, as well as personally. Have you had where you filmed Mad TV, was that Hollywood Center Studios? Mm -hmm. I've heard that that place is haunted. It is. Um when in the early days of mad tv uh um there were a number of experiences uh 
and occurrences that happened that that went over people's heads because they were too busy working. Sure. You know, and you've got a huge cast, you've got a huge crew, and on a lot like that, you've also got other shows. Um, and so, I asked the lot manager at the at the time. His name was Pat Davis. I asked Pat about that because I was interested in the paranormal, and I knew that that had a, a great history. And um, he began to tell me some of the history, but not all of it. And uh, there was an attic area where they had made offices. And I went up and I went in one room and I was like, I'm feeling very uncomfortable. Don't know why, but I know that I'm feeling uncomfortable. I'm feeling edgy. I'm feeling nervous. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say that this is me. I'm just feeling that. I need to wonder if I'm hungry, go through all the physical ideas of what might be happening, the emotional ideas of what's going on in my own head. I left the room and visited the other offices, and there were only two or three of them up in that space. And I went in one and had a conversation, had a conversation with someone, and I felt co- fine. I went into another room, which was empty, and I felt fine. Went back in that one, and uh, again, there was a sense of nervousness and anxiousness and anxiety. And um, I said, no, okay, then let me figure out again what's going on with me emotionally and on every level, physically. Mm-hmm. E- have I eaten? Went back into the empty room. I was fine. Went back into the room, continued a conversation with someone, got up and went back in uh, a third time. And the anxiety level rose, um, in which it became overwhelming. And when it became overwhelming, the energy of that space, I began to discern and disseminate what happened. I left myself open and vulnerable to whatever energy was in that space. Um, And it wasn't necessarily a ghost. It wasn't necessarily a spiritual presence or an entity. What it was was an energy that was left in that space. Sure. And um, the energy was definitely female energy and a brutalized energy. Mm. Um, like a woman was beaten. Yikes. Was, was heavily duty beaten in that room. Mm-hmm. Um, mercilessly uh, beaten and abused. Um that was by the third time it was like, yeah, this is definitely a brutalized energy, a rape um, and and definitely brutalization, a beating. Mm-hmm. And I went back to Pat Davis, the lot manager, and I asked him about uh, the history of the st- stages there because they had been, I think, Warner Brothers stages originally. Uh, I, don't quote me on that, but they had been um, studio stages in which... Back in the 1920s and 1930s, people were under contract to a studio. So you were under contract to do a number of films. And there was a secret underground passage to avoid the paparazzi and void um, uh, uh, the looky-loos and the the autograph seekers when you came in. And underneath, there was a bowling alley that had been closed down. And you can get into the studio. There were also places. You know why? Because they wanted people to stay on the lot if you're working and not leave the lot. And so there were a lot of what we would now call amenities. But some of those amenities were dark. Meaning what? They hired prostitutes. Oh, sure. Girls who came in who wanted to be stars and starlets and they would succumb to uh, sleeping with executives and succumb to sleeping with the stars of the day. And Pat told me that that upper area was where there were spaces that were used in clandestine arrangements Mm. for um, the girls 
and uh, the men that they were there to service and hopefully move from that into a star position, a starlet position, a lot, give me lines and, and so, and, um, but they were, I found out brutalized. Um, at least one of them was definitely. And she did not die in that area, but her energy and her presence, she left an electromagnetic spectrum of energy in that space, a pocket of, of energy. And a lot of times uh, an electromagnetic energy, when it either uh, goes through a trauma, uh, it will imprint it in that area. Mm-hmm. Um same thing as static electricity. Or if you're thinking of, of the old-fashioned cassette tapes, they have um, a magnetism to them and electrons on that tape. So when you record something, um, the reason you can play it back is because the magnetic energy uh, of your voice and your vocal patterns go onto that tape. Because you figure right. it's just tape. How can my voice go on there? But the electromagnetic spectrum, they they combine to a certain extent. I don't know the full science of, of sound design, but definitely it imprints itself so that you can play it over and over again, which is like a residual haunting. Wow. See, it's interesting that you bring that up because most people associate it only with death. But it can still happen with just... Absolutely, with just energy. Do you with... think with good energy as well, if something exciting happens, it can be imprinted? Um, I think that's possible. In the paranormal world, it's less, it happens less often than the darker stuff because it's such high energy. It's such um, powerful energy. It's such a resounding energy when, when there's a brutalization or there's a murder and that energy is left there. It tends to leave it there in the um, electromagnetic spectrum range more often than the good stuff because the good stuff has good stuff happening other places. Uh, but okay. when something is very traumatic, um, it can be left there and it doesn't matter whether a person has transitioned in that situation or left the situation. It can leave an imprint. It can leave an imprint. Because you've so you've also ghost hunted, right? Yes. Where have you done that at? Um, I did it in Texas, and I've done it here in California. One of it was a broadcast show for MTV called Celebrity Paranormal Project, which yes. was supposed to be a one-off. It was supposed to be a special and a Halloween special, so to speak. And what we experienced as novices at the time, even regardless of all the information I knew and what I had done as a novice with other people who were coming in and had never done it before or who were um, just doing it because it was going to be a fun thing or they were going to make some money and they were getting their name out there again, whatever their reasons uh, for doing it, it was traumatic for a lot of us. It was traumatic for a lot of us. And I think the producers were ill-prepared to experience that. And so the way they had built the show was to be as uh, scary as possible, to be as, you know, on the edge of your seat as possible. And so they built that up psychologically. And I think that was also par for the course of what happened with a lot of people who said, I can't go through with this. They would they would start and then go their minds would take them to places. So they didn't necessarily experience anything paranormal, um, I believe. But what they did is their minds began to experience. And one of the celebrities that I was uh, paired with was Evander Holyfield. 
who was a Christian and who didn't really believe in the paranormal or the afterlife in that regard. Uh, I think he believed in the afterlife as far as religion was concerned, Christianity was concerned, but as far as ghosts and hauntings, I think he was skeptical. And because he was skeptical, he didn't accept. And because he didn't accept um, things that happened around him, he didn't miss, but it, it, it didn't frighten him. Okay. So he was more open to it as opposed to people who believe it so that if the wind blows, they go, that's a ghost. Right. If it gets a cold, they, you know, there's a, <laughs> there's a cold spot. And so they don't look for anything logical because nine times out of, I won't say nine times out of ten, but I would say seven times out of ten, there's a logical explanation. Right. There's a, um, a scientific explanation as well. Um, so you don't believe that they doctored anything, that the producers were, you know, trying to spook you? I don't believe that they doctored anything. Um, I believe that that's possible that they could have, but from what I experienced and with having Evander Holyfield as a witness who didn't believe in the paranormal but had no explanation for that, Mm -hmm. um, I would say that at least in my experience, I believe that it was not doctored in the experiences that I had. I can only speak for me. So, But you were telling me about this experience, and you're not really sure of where you guys were, right? Right. What they did was, um, of course, when they when they started the, the project itself, meaning the beginning of the show, the way it was edited, we all met in a particular location in Los Angeles, and they set it up as a green room or a greeting area. And uh, we were going to be that late at night, driven somewhere else. So they left the greeting area open for various celebrities to come in and say hello and sit on the couch and discuss their lives and discuss why they're here and discuss whether they believe in the paranormal or not. And of course, they had cameras around shooting it um, in in various locations uh, there. Then eventually uh, they had someone come in to say, here's the deal. I'm a paranormal investigator. Here's the equipment. Let me show you how to use it. And let me tell you about this space. And then they showed a video of of uh, what this space is about. Here's what happened in the space. I believe that some of that was made up. Yeah, I've watched it. And I, I'm like, mm, OK, yeah. that, that's kind of fun for TV stuff. But I believe that some of that was was made up. I believe. Yeah. In fact, I almost believe that a great deal of it was made up. Um in order to get people nervous, uh, right. anxiety-driven, because they expected people to be psychologically moved by this, to which they would feel like there is something there, which only legitimizes the experience for sure. people who are watching who don't know better. You know, because I, I don't think they were expecting people who really love the paranormal to watch. I think they were watching, uh, getting people who l- wanted to see what these celebrities would do and the pairings and um, what their feelings and reactions would be and how creepy it might be. I think there were less people who are truly uh, involved in the paranormal world as investigations and more people who are like, I watch horror movies and I love them and I yeah. like scary thrillers and, and psychological Halloween thrillers time. and it's Halloween time. Right. I think that was their their biggest audience. But uh, the one thing I think that really annoyed me is that they ended up doing more shows because they said with the with the footage we have, this is this is going to be the pace resistance. So piece de resistance of our show. Um, so let's make do more episodes. If it can go this well, let's do more episodes and we'll we'll put them together as a, a, a limited series. That's why I think they did like three or four more episodes and then saved our original episode for last and they advertised it as in, and you'll also see an actual ghost possession. And that really upset me because I did not experience a ghost possession. Um, and they never asked to... Um, Ask my experience. Uh, 
about what happened, because if I had given them the real experience, they wouldn't be able to say that. But that sounds more sensational than than, you know, an empathic energy. Well, no one wants to no one wants experience. to hear empathic energy. What was the real experience? At one point, Evander Holyfield and I were going into an area and we it was constant knocking and constant banging. Constant knocking and constant banging. Um, and I thought it was really cool. And the place was mostly metal. The walls were metal. Everything was metal. And supposedly, given the dossier, because we're all given a dossier when we travel, the dossier uh, that we received was that it was a place of torture, um, satanic torture. Um, and I don't know if that's true, but I did not experience anything in that area other than the knocking and the banging. And I would follow the knocking and the banging. So it was really interesting. It would happen intermittently. And I wasn't nervous and I wasn't afraid. I just thought it was really cool that there was something that had a presence that could could manifest uh, in a poltergeist way, in a, in a knocking and a banging way. And I thought, really, that's cool. Um, leaving the area with Evander Holyfield, uh we just were having a conversation in general about his spirituality and his belief systems um, and sharing a little bit about the paranormal world with him to open him up a little, if possible. And uh, we went on other investigations throughout the night. And at one point they had me go on an investigation on my own. And then after that, which is that one was the creepiest one. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. Mm -hmm. But after coming back from that one at the end of it, just to wrap up what you had asked the end of it, Evander Holyfield got to the point where he was like, you know what, this is getting ridiculous. And with especially with my belief system as a Christian, and I personally believe that uh, there, there are no such thing as, as ghosts. That was, that was a general idea. And that if there were, that if they ask Jesus Christ for love and forgiveness, they can move on. That it's all about the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. If they accept Jesus Christ, if, if there is any energy out there that does that, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you're going to be fine. And he made it seem like it was black and white. And I thought, oh, okay. One part of me thought that that was okay. The other aspect of my brain said no, that you don't understand, that you don't understand. You don't understand when someone is brutalized, the energy that they leave. You don't understand when they feel like they're, they can't move on because of the things that they've done. And this energy of regret, of sorrow and regret came over me. And I realized that this is not, this is not mine. And as the group was talking, I felt like I was, I needed to isolate myself. I don't know why. I just know that empathically, I felt like I was going to isolate myself, and I did, and I went in a corner. And because I allowed myself to be empathic, it continued to grow more and more. Mm -hmm. And the more I accepted that empathic energy, the more I realized that um, I became angry, and I became upset, and I was sad, and I felt rejected, I felt dejected, I felt hopeless, I felt helpless, and I felt as if this presence that was empathically with me was saying that it's not that easy. And it felt like an, a female energy again and that she had given up a belief system to become either a pagan 
or a devil worshiper or, or a, a, you know, a satanic worshiper, and she couldn't get out of it. She wanted to and couldn't get out of it, but believed that she would never, uh, she would never make it to heaven. She would never make it to an afterlife for what she did and who she was. And, um, and she felt tortured about that emotionally and psychologically. And it just began to become overwhelming emotionally. It became overwhelming. And then people looked at me and they realized that I'd isolated myself and I began crying. And they said, what's wrong? And, you know, what Evander Holyfield said kind of sparked it off. And she felt incensed and angry and upset. And not only was incensed and angry and upset, but upset that we were there. That we were there invading a space that we had no business being in and then to judge that energy there with what he said religiously. And she let me have it because she knew that I would open up to that. And I did. And um, that's the first time I realized that I don't have control over uh, um, that empathic thing um, that happens with all of us. I I had no control. I wasn't professional. I wasn't grounded i didn't grind i didn't ground myself i didn't do anything to ground myself spiritually and i left myself open and it was overwhelming and to the point where i'm like okay i'm starting to have difficulty breathing i you've got to get out you've got to leave your message was delivered please leave 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 this energy has to leave me it has to leave me and i was walking around and i was like you got to get out you got to get out you've got to leave you've got to leave the message was was received the message was received you used my body you used my mind I stayed open to you empathically. You've got to get out. And, and of course, they had cameras everywhere because there was no professionals on the lot. No producers, no oh, writers, really? no directors. They were looking at a remote location using cameras and moving cameras around that were, that were throughout the location. So they were not there and everyone else didn't know what to do with me. They didn't know how to respond and how to react. It was nerve-wracking. Um, yeah, everyone said, okay, we're done. This is over with. We were supposed to have more hours to do the show because it was supposed to go from like 3 a.m. to like 6 a.m. And people refused. They said, we're not going out on any more assignments. Wow. We're not doing any. Nope, nope. After seeing this, nope, absolutely not. And that's when the producers came down. In fact, they gave us, before we, the prerequisite for going there, they gave us our own snake bite kits. <laughs> Really? Yeah, they, because there were there were no there was no medical professionals on site. This there was is somewhere no one out on in the desert, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm, I think it was off the. I realize now it was somewhere off the one eighteen. Mm. It was one of those canyon exits off the one eighteen, but we were in blackened out vans, so the windows were blackened out, um, and then of course cameras were on us while we were in the van. See that I'm also very open to spirits because of. Um, experiences that I've had. I've never had uh, an energy, uh, you know, kind of the experience that you had. But I I believe that spirits can seek out people or they maybe they'll see a group of people and they'll go, oh, that one will get me. That one could understand me. Absolutely. That one can, you know, absolutely. And I've had that's why I've had so many experiences in my, is my belief. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I absolutely. And it's interesting because you can't prove anything. However, it's very, very uh, powerful when people have similar experiences. Oh, that's the best when you can validate. Absolutely. Absolutely. So for me, that is my personal truth. And I've experienced it. 
and had people validate that personal truth through their own experiences like now where they do seek you out. You are you are a light and they can see your energy differently the same way like Kirlian photography. Are you familiar with Kirlian photography? No. Kirlian photography is the type of photography that can create auras. They can do it with plants. They can do it with human beings. Sometimes you can go to psychic fairs um, and, and, and paranormal fairs and festivals, and they'll have you sit, and they'll take a picture, and there'll be a light spectrum, different color light spectrum around you. And the idea is that with Kirlian photography, it can show um, the different auras around you um, and what they represent. And I believe... The same way that you can see an X-ray into bones and you can disappear, everything else disappears but the bone density that you can see um, and anything that seems to be solid um, that you can see. I believe that it is the same way with the spiritual presence, that they see something beyond the physical body, that they can uh, see a color spectrum. They okay. can see an aura, things that move beyond the, the three-dimensional realm into an, a higher realm of spiritual awareness but still has a physical presence. Sure. Um and that they see that spectrum and then they can pull out that spectrum and go, ah, look that at that. One. Yes, I can see his spectrum because they can't really, uh, they don't have no eyes. Mm-hmm. But there, there is a heightened sense of awareness, absolutely, and a heightened sense of memory, um, especially for those that are intelligence pre- an intelligent haunting, which is different from um, a residual haunting. Very, both are very different. You really, you really know this stuff, huh? Um, I'm very interested. So, you know, I used to watch a lot, and I used to meet quite a few people and have discussions. And um, one of the shows that I used to watch on Fox at the time was called Sightings. And there was a paranormal investigator on it named Peter um, James. And he was world-renowned as a paranormal investigator, but he was also psychic. He was clairvoyant and clairaudio, so he can hear and see. And I did an investigation with him, which for a British television show on the Queen Mary. Oh, really? Yeah. And he and I became very close, very, very, very close friends. I went to his apartment the first time and we sat and we talked and someone knocked on his door and he continued to have the conversation with me. They kept knocking and I said, Peter, someone's at your door. He said, no, there isn't. And he kept having a conversation. (laughs) And it was very, very clear and it was methodical knocking, like a knock, 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 pause, knock, 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 pause. And I said, Peter, there's obviously someone at your door. He goes, shook his head, nope. (laughs) And after the third knock, I went to the door and right before they knocked again, I heard one knock, and it was going to go into the knock, 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 but it went knock, and I opened the door, and there was no one there. Ah! There was no one there. So what was his explanation? Um, a neighbor downstairs who had passed away. Mm. Because they knew he was psychic and they knew he was a they knew he was clairaudio and clairvoyant. He's done a number of huge, huge investigations that are that are very well known in the paranormal community. He was um, an icon. He was a legend. He was very well known in the paranormal community. If you mention the name of of of, of Peter James, and um, he passed away. He passed away a number of years ago, uh, and we held a, a huge memorial on the Queen Mary because he had done an investigation on the Queen Mary, and he discovered more entities and more energies than any other paranormal investigation. He was able to allow them to use his body and go into possession and give their information. 
and give their information. And the investigation that we had was absolutely phenomenal because wherever he went, there was an occurrence. We heard a disembodied 45-minute conversation through the metal and the hull of the ship because we went below sea level. We were given permission around 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning to go below sea level at the hull of the ship. And we heard a 45-minute disembodied conversation that floated from, from area to area. It would start here. It was almost the way you would have stereo when it would start there and then it would go over there and it would go over there almost like stereophonic and people left and I stayed to hear it I was this was incredible you here's the interesting thing because it was in the metal because you know metal is a great conductor of electromagnetic spectrum but so is salt water so is water and so given the combination of the two and the history of the ship the Queen Mary was also a warship and most people who don't know the history of the Queen Mary don't realize that it was also a warship and so it was you can hear the vocal patterns, but you couldn't make it out. Mm. It was if someone was giving direction or someone was giving order. And you can hear enunciation, but you couldn't make the words out. And it was a deeper, deeper toned voice, like a man's voice. So you can hear the enunciation of vowels, um, and but you could not hear the exact. And it, and it was ongoing. It never stopped. So it felt like they were giving orders, but they weren't listening to it. They were mm. just giving orders. Um, there was a little girl who drowned in a third-class swimming pool. Yes, I've heard that story. And I heard her say goodbye. <laughs> Stop. Yeah, because they had they had prepped by going, the producer had prepped by going earlier. And um, he showed us video on his phone of saying, can you say goodbye? You wait, nothing. Okay, then we're leaving. And as they're walking out, you hear, bye-bye. Oh, yeah, it. yeah. Okay, well, I want to make sure we have um, we get everything in the amount of time we have. Um, are there are there other stories? I mean, I feel like you have so many stories. Are there any that you wanted to share? Any others? Texas went to do a paranormal investigation. There used to be a show on uh, the the Sci Fi Channel, um, and I think it went to either Discovery Channel after that, and then left the air. And it was called Ghost Lab. And it was by two brothers who knew everything about science. And so they wanted to discover and and implement how we can prove that there is a paranormal experience through science as opposed to a psychic experience. Right. And um, the show was phenomenal. It did well. And I was a huge fan. I was hooked from day one because they were mixing the science of it. Which gives it validity to, to a lot of people. Yes. A lot of people don't want to hear anything about psychic energy, yeah. you know, beliefs. and. So if you, and I don't know if you can find it, but try going to YouTube and put in Ghost Lab. Ghost Lab. Ghost Lab. And it was absolutely phenomenal. The shows were brilliant. And none of them were faked. And, and it, after meeting these brothers um, and having a conversation with them and, and being with them in Texas and them flying me down uh, to do it, none of it was faked. Um, and the reason I believe that none of it was faked was because of the experience we began to have. When they picked me up from the airport, the first thing we did is we went to a restaurant and said, let's eat. And we want to let you know that this will be an investigation um, tonight. Uh, but there are things that happen during the day in this particular dining hall. And because it is Texas and not Los Angeles, it was empty during the day because most people are working. Oh, yeah. I forgot that's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it was empty during the afternoon. And... Um, I looked at the menu. Being a vegan, it was difficult to eat in Texas. But I looked at the menu. And as I'm looking at the menu, I'm just perusing it going, there's nothing here I can eat. So I'm not really reading the entire menu. 
because everything I see anyway is, is meat or fried, meat or fried, or fried meat, or fried pickles, or fried this. Chicken fried steak. Chicken fried steak. Everything that was like fried, 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 fried. So was, I, I put the menu down, and my uh, silverware was crossed. <sighs> and so I looked at one of the brothers, and I went, uh my silverware just got crossed. And he said, yes, that's a common occurrence. And <laughs> Where I, was, where, what part of Texas? Wachahachi, I, I forgot. I, <laughs> I, I'd have to really look that up, but it's okay. a very well-known restaurant that used to be um, a ranch house. It was a home. Okay. It was a home. And it was a ranch house, but they turned it into, eventually the property was sold. I think the, the owners eventually passed away and they sold the, the but Waxahachie. I think it's Waxahachie with a W-A-X, okay. Waxahachie. And so I looked down and it was crossed and um, he had been holding his menu the whole time. And then he put his down and his was crossed. So it happened within seconds. Um, nobody saw it. Nobody felt it. Nobody heard it. It's a phenomenon I've never experienced before. I've heard of it. I've seen shows with it, but it's a phenomenon I've never experienced, and I experienced it. And it's interesting because the waitress came over, the server came over, and then she backed away. And I wondered what's going on. She goes, could you tell them to go away because they're following her. They don't know her, and they, they're interested in her energy. Because I was so Meaning open. you? Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, it's a little too claustrophobic for me over here. I can feel them over my shoulder looking at her. Could you ask them to, to leave? Because the brothers had done investigations there before. Um, and that night was interesting because as we were leading people through the investigation, when one person left, they had silverware in their pocket that was, what was, that was put there by who knows what. Wow. Yeah. You seem very calmed i mean do you get does this stuff scare you it doesn't scare me but what happens is i go back to the physical space that i'm in and when my heart starts to pound i pay attention to the physical so i don't pay attention to the paranormal i pay attention to the physical and i go okay my heart is beating fast is it because i'm nervous is it because i receive the information so psychologically i'm doing this to myself or is it because there's an energy and my heart and my body is automatically responding. So I start going through the logic of that experience. And that keeps me calm. Okay. That keeps me very calm because I am open. On the Queen Mary, there was a young boy who was not American who died on it when the Queen Mary was a warship. And what I felt my body doing was having my head crushed, but I felt my body lifting up. And then tilting to the side to lie down, lifting up and tilting to the side. And it turns out that the hull of the ship was used for dead bodies because it was the coolest storage space you can get. But this kid hadn't died yet. He was unconscious and they thought he was dead because he had, um, you couldn't feel his pulse, but he was still alive. And all he wanted, it really upset me. And I can see an image of him too. He was blonde, he was blue eyed, he wasn't American. I don't know if he was German. I don't know where he was from. But all he wanted was his mother. The last thing he wanted before he passed was he wanted he wanted to be with his mother. He wanted to see his mother one more time. But I could feel my body lift and then tilt to the side, lift and then tilt to the side. And my head was crushed because they put the bodies head to feet, head to feet, but stack them. Stack on yeah. top of each other. Stack oh, them on man. top of each other. So that was another feeling that I had. And the feelings that I do get, I'm always with a paranormal investigator who has psychic ability to validate my experience mm -hmm. um, and say, no, that's not the case or that's possible. 
So how do you handle the dark energy? I mean, I've never experienced dark energy. Oh, that's good. Oh, mama don't play that. Yeah. Mama, if, if, if someone says this place is because, like I said, we did that at this this area off the 118 and supposedly it was haunted uh, by uh, um, Satanists who once were there. And so I never really absorbed that as in the devil's going to get me or Satan's going to pop up or there's going to be uh, um there's going to be uh, something that happens, like something thrown against the room, or I'm going to fall, or I'm going to get killed. I never experienced that. I did experience a disembodied voice right in front of me, though. Um, and it was mumbling and hissing. So I did hear that. And it's interesting because the room went very, very still, and it, the temperature rose, usually with an, an, uh, a malevolent uh, energy or presence. The temperature will rise, not drop, as in a cold spot. Got it. And I heard hissing in a corner. And what I did is I stayed still because one of my greatest anxieties and fears, you know, psychologically mm-hmm. is running and being chased. So I don't run from anything because my greatest fear is being chased. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like the idea of something that can catch up to you and chase you and grab you and knock you down and pull you down and stuff like that. And every time I've seen a horror movie where someone runs and they fall and all of a sudden their legs get dragged uh-huh. back and they're so that, I get that way on stairs. The idea of someone chasing me upstairs. I get it because the, the physical work you have to do to get away from somebody and the physical idea of tumbling down the stairs and breaking your neck. So I don't move. I don't move. So I'll listen and my heart will beat uh, practically out of my chest, but I will stay still. I will stay still. And then I will get up and I'll walk slowly. And each step, it's like nothing touched me. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening, but it's one step at a time Mm -hmm. because the anxiety is at its highest peak at that point. Just walking and not walking backwards, but walking forward. My anxiety is at its highest peak. So it's I took a step. Nothing happened. I took a step. Nothing happened. I get out of the shack and I heard voices on the outside of the shack talking, too. And I had to walk in and ask who was who was out there. And they said, no, we're all back here. (laughs) <laughs> and interesting it didn't sound like it would have been the the type of sound where you would put um you would put a microphone in a tree because the sound moved across oh yeah you know because a lot of times you're like okay well if they scare you if, if the producers really want to do that they can put microphones in trees right but the sound moved in front of me because i was in a shack the sound moved in front of me and then across, and as those, if someone were t- walking and talking. Yeah, they can't fake. Yeah, that. and then the hissing in the corner, that was there was yeah, that was real. Well, speaking of scary demon voices, you also did some scary demon voices in the Nun. Yes, I did. I did the demonic. Vo- our- I did all the demonic voice along with um, an amazing and phenomenal. I'm so inspired by him. He's he's you have no idea. I, I'm inspired by him. He's one of the reasons I do uh, demon voices. And he's one of the reasons why I'm I'm <laughs> I'm perfecting my craft voiceover wise to do um, animal sounds and demon voices and creatures. And I do a lot of creature voices. I do a lot of creature voices. Oh and he's he is my go to when it comes to that. And I got a chance to meet him. His name is D. Bradley Baker, D.E.E., D. Bradley Baker. And when you look him up and when you look at his site and when you look at all the information on YouTube, what he does that comes out of his mouth is otherworldly, otherworldly. So I did the higher end demonic stuff. He did the lower end. And together they were sound mixed. So anytime anyone was possessed, um, we were the voice. 
That's in the so film. Cool. It was cool. It was a cool See, experience. But I think about you hear a, someone talks about a ghost. You know, I'm here in Hollywood and this ghost just I heard like, you know, a, a growl. And I'm like, well, what if it was a voiceover artist ghost that was just making yeah. different noises? <laughs> Maybe <laughs> imagine um, a Deborah Wilson ghost, the things that you could do to fuck with someone. <laughs> oh, without a body, the, the sky's the limit. Oh, I'm sorry. No, eternity's the limit. EVPs or EV please. Okay, so we do a little game here called EVPs or EV please. Okay. So we're going to listen to some EVPs, electronic voice phenomenon, mm-hmm. or as I like to call it, the ASMR of the afterlife. And we're going to hear some voices that are recorded. Now, these are both from the. Los Angeles Zoo, the old Los Angeles Zoo. Have mm-hmm. you ever been there in Griffith Park? Yes, I have. There's a lot of energy going on around there. A lot there. of energy. I mean, lots of stories of animal energy. I mean, apparently there were lots of animals that were neglected or possibly beaten. And not only that, but did you know it burned down? And when it burned mm-hmm. down, that's why there are so many parrots. Well, a lot of people don't see them, but, but, but there are many areas in which they do see them. Parrots. Because they propagated the species once they once they escaped, once parrots were able to escape or could escape, um, Los Angeles, be, as temperate as it was, as for the most part, um, and in the er- upper desert areas, they can propagate the species. And so there are still a lot of parrots that oh. are in the trees all over Los Angeles, all over L.A. Oh, yeah. I L.A. Guess County. I didn't even know that. Mm-hmm. Because they were able to escape and propagate. But like Griffith Park area, there are like centuries-old stories of curse. They say it's cursed up there. There have been so many bodies, body parts. Just a couple, I think it was like 2012 or so, there was a head that was found in that area. So there's a lot going on up in the mm. um, the Griffith Park area. And this is more specifically from the zoo. I found these clips from some um, a group called Crisp Paranormal. And here's the first one. We're just going to listen to it real quick. And I want you to tell me... What you hear? It's really quick. Is that again? That is, first of all, that's a creepy voice. Do you think that that person, that's if that was a human being, do you think that that's what their voice sounded like when they were on no, Earth? No, absolutely not. So what happens? I think there's a, it's, it has to go through an energy spectrum because, again, a lot of people don't hear it. It's interesting how with an electronic voice phenomena, you usually don't catch it the first time, but you catch it on that because it's an electromagnetic yes. spectrum. So it's a, there's a science to it because there are voices that we don't hear, but they get captured when they ask questions. And why we can't hear it is because I think the science of 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 I think the science as well as the paranormal aspect is it's interdimensional. It's interdimensional. And so it can be made in the the, the physical world, but you need to capture it on a physical. You need to have something in the physical world to harness it. Mm. So I don't think we can hear it, but I think once it is, because I think it's interdimensional. So they may not have been fully present, but they can see everything in this dimension. And scientifically, it can be captured, but you need a vessel to capture it. Well, then how like come a, sometimes like you can hear it in person, though? Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. That's yeah. But see, that's that's why it's a practice. That's why there is no 
expert in the field. There's only people who have done repetitive investigation and then found a, a generalized idea of what happens on a semi or regular basis. Because there's no real, you can't get a degree in it. You can't say that, you know, it's not like being a doctor. Um, it's just a matter of encountering it over and over again. And I think because it is a universal and larger spectrum of idea and ideals, there are phenomena that we haven't discovered yet, the same way there are aspects of the universe that still go on that we haven't discovered yet. Yeah. Like well, a black hole. Or the ocean. Exactly. But see, that's what makes it even spookier for me is that it's almost at times like there are no rules of the afterlife and paranormal. I mean, it is. Okay, can I hear it one more time? Okay, one more time. Okay, I'll give you some options. Um, Did they say, you down with OPP? Did they say B? Yeah, you know me. Did they say C? Guilty. Or D? Kill me. I wouldn't say kill me because they're already dead. And if if it's an intelligent haunting, it knows he or she or it energy wise knows that it's no longer the here. As they move through well, you know the, the, the dimensions. But that's what these people actually think it said. Kill, kill me. Kill me. Let me hear it again. <gasps> But maybe not. I mean, these are all just, you know, you guess. Kill me. Maybe it said something else. Maybe it didn't say yeah. anything at all. But it, 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 because of the kale me, it's not. It's, it's like two syllables in kale. Kale me. Maybe they wanted kale. kale. They I th- wanted I think kale. They wanted kale. They were trying to eat clean. Uh huh. And it might have been. Yeah, I think that's what it is. <laughs> kale me. Kale me. Uh, g- give me, give me some kale me. Come on, give me some kale. Kale Hit me. me. Hit me with that. Kale me. Ooh, is that Valak kale from the nuns me. wanting kale? Oh no! If you want some Valak, <laughs> I can give you some Valak. Give me, give me Valak going to f- veggie grill. <laughs> Let's see. Hey, I know what I want. Feed me. (laughs) The southern fried vegan chicken. Give it to me now. With a side of the cow. Okay, coming right up. <laughs> to go. Make it to go. Make it to go. Oh my god, that was Valak from The Nun, star Mm. of The Nun at Veggie Grill. Okay, here's one more, and then we'll get you out of here. Uh, This is also at the LA Zoo. Maybe I don't want to go. Oh, (laughs) hey, you don't have to go. I want you with me at all times. Okay, yeah, that was, this is also L.A. Zoo. It's hard to say. Okay, my, was it A, T, 
to the Mexican grill. B. Do the nasty bump. C. To the next chamber. Or D. Hi, I'm a ghost. I'm here to our guide here at the zoo. Welcome to the zoo. Hi, I'm a ghost. The elephants are right up here. <laughs> it okay. sounds like, I would say, uh, C. To the next chamber. To the next chamber. No, it says do. It says do the... It's do the nasty bump, I think. But they said, see to the next chamber. To the but, next chamber. I don't know what that means, but that's what they suspect. Okay. The see, it says do. It sounds like it says do as opposed to to. Do. Yeah, you, there, there's a different t to d. It's hard to say. Yeah. Oh, my God. You just fucked my life up. <laughs> <laughs> Now, would you like a dessert, Valak? We have a couple of options. We do have a vegan strawberry shortcake. And um, we also have coconut ice cream. No! Okay. Um, we also have some silverware, if you would like. Would you no! We have paper straws, if you would like, for your drink. I don't know what I want for dessert. Oh, okay, yes. What would you like? Your soul covered in whipped cream. Oh, well, lucky for you, that is also vegan. I'll take that to go, please. All right, can we get my soul with the kale to go? Don't worry. I'll come for it tonight while you sleep. <laughs> I can't with you, Deborah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this. I am so grateful to have Where's met you. Where's the bathroom oh, oh, in okay. this place? <laughs> okay. Do I need a key or is it free? We do have a code. It is 664. 666. Six, six. Nope, 664. 666. Six, six. Six, six.